Radio Diaries from PRX's Radiotopia is a podcast featuring first-person diaries, sound portraits, and hidden chapters of history. Their newest series, Hunker Down Diaries, tells stories of people in unexpected circumstances due to the pandemic, like hunkering down in a car, quarantining after the first date, and spending the lockdown in a pizzeria. Subscribe to the Radio Diaries podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, it's Lou. If you like Love Me, I think you should check out Heavyweight with Jonathan Goldstein. In each episode, Jonathan revisits a moment from a stranger's life when it all went wrong. Like a therapist with a time machine. In this episode from their new season, an 11-year-old boy helps his mom confront the girl who bullied her when she was his age. I just wanted you to kind of, like, get your revenge. My revenge? Avenge yourself. Sorry, I'm using the wrong word. That's Heavyweight from Gimlet. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. All right, you there? All right. So, when I was a kid... My granddad would tell me all these stories. And have I told you about these stories before? Like, when I didn't eat my vegetables, he told me that if I got too skinny, the front of my stomach and the back of my back would rub together and cause friction, and I would catch fire. <laughs> At the time, I believed him, yeah. From CBC... This is Love Me, a show about the messiness of human connection. I'm Lou. It's 1972. I'm three years old. I'm wearing a navy bathing suit with a funny face on the front, digging in the sand at the beach. I'm there with my parents, my sister, and Uncle Sill. The beach is Sills Beach, a town beach, where we sometimes launch his boat to go on a ride. But today, today we're sitting on the sand like every other family. I'm digging deep into the sand, mesmerized by the layers. On top, the rocks are sharp, and there are yellow and orange shells. And then underneath, the pebbles get smaller and smoother. And further down, it's just wet sand. And there, in between the little pebbles and the wet sand, I start to find these itsy-bitsy little shells. Tiny whelk or conch shells that spiral around and round like, like tiny ice cream cones, some no bigger than a few grains of sand. I'm in the zone, digging in the wet sand, when a boy comes over and starts talking to me. I'm not really listening. I've got things to do, and I'm not really in the mood for chit-chat. So I tell this boy a store in town is running a contest for finding the smallest shell. It's a total lie. But he believes me. And he starts digging his own hole, looking for shells. Quietly. Then my uncle comes over and asks what we're doing, and I tell him the same lie. 
about the contest. I tell him that the prize is ice cream. He also believes me. So he shouts over to my parents that I must have seen a sign over at Preston's. Soon enough, there are five or six of us, quietly sifting through the sand, looking for tiny shells. Silence. Except for the sound of the waves on the shore, our hands digging in the wet sand. Now even I'm trying to find the smallest shell. I really want to win. This is one of my fondest memories. It's from a time before lies were bad. They were just pretend. Today's episode, Telling You Stories. This is called a Brunngraber Mark II slip tester. Now you have to lay it flat on the floor. It's got two clamps on the side. And it was invented by Dr. Robert Brunngraber, who I know very well. One of the pioneers of slip resistance in our country. And um, it's a machine that works to this day. This is my dad. He's measuring the slipperiness of my floor because he's worried I'll fall and hurt myself. Well, people fall for a number of reasons, and there's been research... The machine he's using fits inside a big metal briefcase. It kind of looks like it's from a 90s heist movie. It's now in ready position. I now will pick it up, and I will start to increase the angle, hit the trigger... No slippage of the sensor. Dad has been training me for worst-case scenarios since before I could spell the word disaster. When I was a kid, he ran me through timed, blindfolded fire drills and slathered me in thick yellow sunscreen from a giant bottle he kept in the trunk of his car. You did wear sunscreen is why you look younger than you do. Your skin is still good. To beef me up physically, he snuck protein powder into my milkshakes because it's difficult to fight off intruders when you have brittle bones, he'd say. Well, yes, and you didn't like milk and I made you drink it. And I'm lactose intolerant. Well, I didn't know that at the time. To Dad, the world is filled with disasters waiting to happen. Falling trees, lightning strikes, tsunamis, accidentally swallowing a toothpick, undiagnosed heart defects, electrocution by guitar amplifier, parachute malfunctions, getting your shoelaces caught in an escalator. I know too much. I've seen what happens because that's what I do for a living is I'm a safety expert. I always say sometimes if you hear something about it in the news, I may be involved in it. So uh, a woman walking down the street with her son past a building and the entire building collapsed on them, killing both of them. That's when we get involved in it, find out why the building collapsed from an engineering standpoint. As a little girl, I'd hang out at Dad's office after school and watch wide-eyed 
as thick manila folders landed on his desk, spilling out photos of autopsies and details about the latest freak accidents from around the world. An emergency finger amputation in Antarctica, a volcanic eruption in Guatemala, a swing set strangulation in Pennsylvania. I spent hours rearranging the little red pushpins on Dad's office map that showed him where his next case would take him. I went into a copper mine once. I did not like that at all. At night, Dad turned these cases into bedtime stories. I never told you any scary stories that'll you know, keep you awake at night. Like case number 119, the little girl at the carnival. I can tell you it was down in the south where a young girl, I believe it was like six years old at the time, was in a, a fun tunnel in a fun house, horsing around with her brother. In some versions of the story, the little girl had red hair and loved cotton candy, just like me. One thing led to another. She either got pushed or she lost her balance, and her leg became wedged between the rotating metal tunnel and the frame. If that wasn't bad enough, the operator of the ride was a drunk dwarf. He was jumping up to try to reach the emergency stop button seven feet above ground level and couldn't reach it and kept falling down while the barrel is rotating, continuing to slice this girl. And unfortunately, it sliced her quadricep uh, down to the bone. The good news is that she had a very good surgeon. Lesson learned. Horsing around can cost you an arm and a leg. Or if you're lucky, just a leg. Then there was case number 218. I had a case where a woman was walking over a grate in New York City. She was walking her uh, shih tzu, and she noticed the dog was kind of hopping up in the air. He looked like he had a bad hair day, hair sticking up in the air. And as she walked onto the grate, she realized the grate was electrified, and she got a shock as a result. And then there were cases 308, 529, 847. We have a lot of trips on sidewalks. Some people just don't ambulate well. Falling out of windows, fire escapes, off of roofs. Volatile explosions. A bungee cord that fails. Oh, it's never going to happen to me. Well, it can happen to you. Were you ever worried about making me afraid of the world? Uh, a little bit, but I thought you were smart enough to figure it out. Today I got my yellow belt. Aya! I'll show you when we're done. That's my younger sister, Kyla. Dun, 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 dun. She's nine and has been taking karate lessons for the last year. I asked her how she got into martial arts. Dad, he said I had to. Why did he say <clears throat> you had to? Um, because he said it's good for self-defense. How did you feel? Did you want to do it when he said it? No, I did not. I'm also not allowed to, you know, call my friends that Dad doesn't know their parents. He's worried that the parents are going to kidnap me. 
And so... That sounds crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And he says, well, you know what? It's for your own good. That's always what he says. I may be not the most affectionate person, however, I've always been protective because I know things happen. I see things happen. And you can prevent things from happening. So isn't it more prudent to understand your surroundings? Uh, sitting at a restaurant, you look overhead, and you look up, and what's over your head four stories above you? An air conditioner hanging out of the window. <laughs> you don't know how it's installed. You don't know how the bracketing system is. Anything could happen. Somebody could open a window, out the air conditioner goes, and it's going to land on you, and the results will not be good. Lesson learned. Always look overhead for something DFA, dangling from above. I'm constantly looking up. See, Dad even made up these acronyms so he could shout out imminent dangers quickly as a warning. SWW, slippery when wet. Or LFB. Low flying bird. Low flying bird. You know, in case we encountered one, say while driving down the highway in a convertible. It doesn't happen very often. It's a one in a million chance, but if you're that one in a million, it's obviously very important to you as a person. Do you ever feel though that you worry too much? Do I worry I worry too much? What do you No. No, I don't. I don't think I'm worried too much because I understand what can happen. Okay? For example, when you said you were traveling to Southeast Asia, I was very concerned. If you go off into the jungle area, I mean there are tigers there. <laughs> that I get eaten by a tiger. Actually, a a girl that I knew, her great-grandmother got eaten by a tiger. Yeah. In Vietnam. And, um, yeah, I couldn't believe I heard that story. I was like, what? The thing Dad wasn't expecting, with all his disaster talk, she got snatched by a tiger. is that somewhere along the way, yeah, the his lessons got drowned out by the captivating details of his stories. Grabbed her and took off, and I never found her again. Tiger snatchings in Vietnam, skydiving accidents in Mexico. These stories didn't make me want to stay away. I wanted to explore these places, the places I had pinned on Dad's office map as a little kid. She used to travel sometimes. You could be abducted for ransom, you could be robbed. Um, but is it like you're imagining bad things happening to me? Of course. I, before you were born, I, I really, I, I wasn't really concerned about much of anything. But nowadays, I always worry about you. I think Dad's protective because he loves me and he'd do anything to keep me safe. And I'm just grateful for that sometimes and sometimes I'm annoyed by that. 50% annoyed, 50% grateful. Yeah. Yeah. articulated strut and when it gets to the point where the slip resistance uh, is not enough to overcome the frictional force. I know that sounds technical. Dad isn't the kind of dad who tells me that he loves me. Simulate shoe sole material. Now we have 
But what do words mean when someone cares about you so much that they can't bear the thought of your floors being too slippery? And so they lug a 40-pound machine across town, even if it means having to brave a world full of falling trees and dangling air conditioners and LFBs. That doesn't mean you're going to slip every time you step onto the surface if it's not code compliant. It just gives you a standard on which to uh, uh, test it. Now we have to go back and determine what exactly is the code My granddad would tell me all these stories. One of the stories was that a kangaroo has three ears. And the third ear is in the kangaroo's left foot. And and the ear can hear vibrations. And when he would tell the, uh, the story, I didn't even know there was a story. You just talk about it. And one day my dad <laughs> emailed Taronga Zoo and asked the zookeeper, does a kangaroo have three ears? And the zookeeper said, no. And my grandfather was really upset, and he was like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to drive and find a, a dead kangaroo on the side of the road, and I'm going to bring its leg back, and I'm going to show you where the third ear is. And that's the point at which we, we stopped talking about the, the kangaroo's third ear. There was this other story about... Um, this bridge. As soon as he told it to me, I never f- forgot it. It was branded in, in my memory. The story is that there's this river that runs between these two towns, these small towns uh, between the Yarrawonga uh, and the Mulwalla. And they wanted to build this bridge across the river. Things were pretty uncoordinated between these towns like cross-town rivalry, you know. You're either on this side of the river or you're on that side of it. And so instead of getting together and working things out about this bridge, how they're going to do it, one side started building their side of the bridge and then the other side started building their side. And the idea was that they would meet in the middle. Anyway, what happened was as they got closer, it was quite a long bridge they realized that both ends of the bridge were not in line. They were not going to connect, and not just by a little bit, by a lot. Like, they were way off. And not only have they built the bridge not in line, but it's also different heights. <laughs> it's hard to imagine what... It's, it's so stupid. It's hard to imagine that the pain and the heartache of working on this bridge with pylons and concrete for months and months and months, inches at a time, and then you look up and you realise there's a moment where you realise just how badly you've screwed up. Because in the end, what they had to do was 
build this massive bend and a, and a big dip in the bridge so that the two sides would meet up. And I have Google Maps, whatever. You can sort of look look for bridges and things like that. And it turns out there is this there is this bendy bridge along the Murray River. And I'd love to go down there one day and see it for myself. Or I don't know, maybe I shouldn't. It's kind of like, do do kangaroos really have three ears? You know, it's it's probably funner not to know. My mom didn't tell me many stories about my grandmother, Alicia, but she told me this one. They'd gone to the doctors together for a checkup. My mom was a little girl. At some point during the visit, the doctor had to check her ear. My mom got scared and she cried. My grandmother pulled a butter knife from her purse and held it against the doctor, said she'd kill him if he hurt her again. This was the nature of my mom and my grandmother's relationship. Unpredictable, but loving. Alicia was my mom's erratic protector. Hi. Hi. Oh, glad to meet you there. Hi. Come in. Okay. Who's I, sir? You? I'm sir. Oh, nice to meet you. My mom, my brother, and me are walking up the stairs of this assisted living home not far from where I grew up. On the landing, there's a watercolor painting of Mary and Jesus praying. Then, the room where my grandmother, Alicia, lived during the last years of her life. A new woman has taken her bed, twin-sized, with a thick, mustard-yellow blanket. Carmen and Julie are the women who looked after Alicia. They beam at my mom. She looks like your grandmother, Carmen says to me. At this, my mom's eyes well up with tears. I never met my grandmother, and the last time my mom saw her was almost 40 years ago. My mom was 15, and my grandmother was in the hospital for schizophrenia. She barely even recognized her daughter. And at home, things were really bad for my mom. An alcoholic father and an abusive grandfather. My mom ran away and never went back. And then she lost track of her family. She assumed her mom had died years ago. Until I found Alicia's death certificate at City Hall a couple of months ago. Thank you for taking care of her. I take care for her for seven years, huh? It turned out she had passed away just last year. Only a 30-minute drive away from us. Uh, it feels like, like her, a mother to me. Alicia is a mother to me. Some of her the recordings here. The records. records by the social worker. 
Carmen and Julie hand us a thick, salmon-colored file folder filled with pages of medication, status reports. These are the last remnants of my grandmother. And I guess that's why we're all here. To gather up whatever traces of her are left. Likes to read and write. Likes to color. <laughs> to clean, uh, clean her room. Likes to stay in bed, but gets up for meals. Goes out twice a week. Julie and Carmen tell us that my grandmother read the Bible every day. That she had long black hair that she never cut and would spend hours brushing it. She also kept a diary and collected baby dolls. At one point, she had a shelf full of them. But all of her belongings had been donated or thrown away after she died. No one here knew she had any family. The baby dolls had become moldy because she would feed them real milk from the fridge. I wonder if she ever named them, but I'm too afraid to ask. How many times I, I, I asked her if, there any relative, yeah, if there's what any relative? Say? What did she say? <laughs> Nothing, you just... You will just smile. Just smile, <laughs> just only smile. Mm -hmm. My mom had always assumed that the person she had known as her mom was gone. The one who dressed them in matching mother-daughter outfits, who would stroke her hair until she fell asleep. The one who had tried to protect her as best she could. Julie grabs a plastic grocery bag from behind the chair where she's sitting and sets it on her lap. She becomes serious and looks at all three of us like she's about to cry. She says she wants to ask us something. Do you believe in miracles? <laughs> or something? Do you believe in miracles? On the ride over here, the car in front of us had a license plate that said simply, Alicia. We had all agreed it was a sign. And a few weeks prior, my mom and I were speaking about her mom and dad over the phone, and a pair of coyotes had appeared from nowhere and stood in front of my mom's parked car. We both wondered aloud if it was her parents coming to visit us. After a few seconds, I respond, yes, I do believe in miracles. Because I want to believe in miracles, but also because I want to know what's in the bag. The rest of my family is silent. Julie says that this morning, after I called, she started to get the house ready. I'll generally clean up the room there. I saw, I saw a plastic bag on, on the top of the cabinet. What is this? When, when I open, there is a doll. There is a doll. And this is this a doll is of a That's why I, I, I run, I run, I run. Uh, did you know about this? This is, this is Alicia's doll. Julie hands it to me. It's one of those baby dolls with eyelids that flutter when you pick it up. My mom takes the doll and stares into its uneven eyes. She knows that, that, that her relative is coming in. Yeah. Because this one, I, I, can I cannot explain about this one. <laughs> this is a miracle. Even though my mom doesn't say it to Carmen and Julie, I know she doesn't believe them. 
Later, she'll tell me she's convinced they were just trying to give her some peace of mind. But a baby doll can't do that. Maybe she wants me to give you that to remember her. My mom only has so many things she can remember, only so many stories to tell. Besides them, all we have is a salmon-colored folder filled with paperwork and a bow-legged baby doll. I know she's very happy now in heaven. Maybe a miracle can let us believe my grandmother's here, watching over us. But it can't tell my mom what she really wants to know. If my grandmother remembered her, if she missed my mom the way my mom misses her. That last story comes to us from Sarah Cavedo, a producer at Latino USA. You can hear a longer documentary Sarah made with Latino USA about his family called The Cavedos. You'll find a link on our website, cbc.ca slash loveme. Earlier on our show, you heard Australian producer Mike Williams with stories from his grandfather. And Low Flying Bird, produced with Caitlin Swaljay. Visit our website where you can see a short animation of Caitlin's story. I, you'd always joke about having a tracking device implanted in me. Yes, an implantable GPS device would be a great safety feature. Uh, not a large device, just something that's, you know... Just a small surgery. Maybe not even with surgery, just maybe just to inject it into your skin, just like they do with the dog. Love Me is produced and edited by Mira Burt-Wintonic, Crystal Duhame, and Sarah Geis. Today's episode was mixed by Mira Burt Wintonic. Subscribe to Love Me on the CBC Radio app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Love Me's theme song is by Tim Kingsbury. Additional music by Drake Stafford. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with your friends. I'm Lou Olkowski. Thanks for listening. When we were growing up, my granddad was like the leader of the of the grandkids. And maybe this is the biggest story that stuck with all of us, is that he taught us this song called um, Along the Road to Gundagai. It's a song he would have grown up with, like a genuine song that's been passed down. I can sing it for you. It goes. <laughs> uh, here we go. <sighs> There's a track winding back to an old-fashioned shack along the road to Gundagai, where the blue gums are growing and the marum bridge is flowing beneath that sunny sky, where my mommy and daddy are waiting for me and the pals of my childhood once more I will see. Then no more will I roam, for I'm heading straight for home along the road to Kanda Guy. <laughs>
Hungry for more CBC Podcasts? Check out Escaping Nexium, taking you inside the bizarre self-help group that attracted actors, politicians, and the super wealthy, and is now the center of an FBI investigation. Escaping Nexium, one woman's journey to take down the secretive personal growth organization. From CBC Podcast's new investigative series, Uncover. Have a listen. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.